1 Peter chapter 5. I'd like to read the first 10 verses. This is the words of Peter to the churches that are spread throughout um, the first century world. And he says to those churches, those believers, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, with, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that you would help us to see uh, your plan and your structure for your church, and that, Lord, we would rejoice that you have given us uh, the gifts of pastor, teachers, Lord, of those who are to have oversight and to shepherd your flock, and we pray, Lord, that we would know that that is a gift from you, and that we would encourage those who serve in those roles, and that you would help those who serve in those roles to be faithful and to grow in grace and knowledge of you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And together, God's people said, Amen. I invite you, if you have the single sheet of paper called Why Elders, to take that out. Um, today, rather than doing an expository sermon where we look at a passage of Scripture and explain it, I, I'm going to do a topical sermon, but it's a biblical topic, namely about elders. And we'll do it rather quickly so that we can have time for the laying on of hands portion of the ceremony uh, of this ordination. But essentially, I want to ask these questions. You'll see them listed on your paper. Why have elders? Uh, the second question, what is the relationship between the terms pastor, elder, and overseer? Number three, what are the qualifications of an elder? And then number four, what are the functions of elders? And we'll go through those, and there'll be other questions that will be lesser questions, but we'll answer as we go along. So when we ask the question, why have elders in a church? Why have elders? Well, very simply for us, the answer is because the New Testament mandates them. 
The New Testament shows that that's how the church was to be structured. Uh, you can follow along on your handout. You'll see in Titus 1.5, Paul talking to the missionary pastor Titus, who is establishing the church in Crete. He said, this is why I left you in Crete. That's the island in the Mediterranean. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So part of the establishing of a church is wherever the church is, there are to be elders in that place. You'll notice that the word elder is also somehow a part of putting a church into good order. That, that elders are there, it's a part of God's plan to keep the church from everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, that there would be a structure, that there would be uh, some regularity, that there would be a plan uh, of leadership and an authority structure that would reflect God's desire for the church being orderly. Uh, you'll notice then in Acts 14.23, this is speaking of, of Paul and Silas as they go on their missionary journeys, and it says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So it seems like every church that these missionaries, these first missionaries go out and establish, that they know that they need to leave behind a structure of leadership. You'll see that in the church that there really are two Offices of leadership, one primarily focused on uh, the scripture and the preaching and teaching of scripture, that office is known as elders, and the other office of equal importance but with a different mandate is the office of deacon, and deacons are meant to meet the physical needs of people, which also matter, but neither are to be neglected. If both of those roles, meeting the spiritual needs through the word and meeting physical needs in a spiritual way, if they're both on one person or one group of people, it'll depend. You may have them say, well, we're going to be all about the word and not care about the physical needs. Or, as it happens sometimes, people care all about physical needs and they neglect the teaching and preaching of the word. That has happened over and over and over again throughout the 2,000 years of church history, that the Bible and the preaching and teaching of the Scripture to people in the congregation has been neglected. And so Christ has established those two offices so that both the, the, the Word can be taught and the table can be served. Spiritual needs met through the teaching of Scripture, physical needs met through a, a, a ministry that is appointed to oversee and to care for those who are struggling in the congregation. The word elder, uh, it just is uh, uh, not a word necessarily meaning old, but it does mean a senior, a person who's been around for a while. It can't be a new convert, but this is a person who within the structure of the church is to have that a spiritual authority, and to primarily be given the job of leading the church through the preaching and teaching of uh, the Scripture. One of the passages that John took us to in 1 Corinthians, he mentioned this. Elder, and, it, and I want to use that passage to clarify what I'm saying. Elders are not the head of the church. Deacons are not the head of the church. 
The longest-lived member of the church is not the head of the church. The congregation as a whole is not the head of the church. We believe there is one head of the church, and his name is Jesus Christ. And because he's the head of the church, we're not trying to establish a church that will please David Brady, or will please Gary Watson, or please John Cox, or, or, or please any particular person, or even please the tradition from which we came, our parents, our grandparents. We have one head of the church. He is the, the head, and he is the king, and he is the Lord. And our job is to determine through his word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, to hear what he wants his church to believe, how he wants his church to be structured, and what he wants his church to be busy doing. And therefore, as the head of the church, he is the final word. He's the first word and the final word. And our job as elders is to make sure we're listening to him and listening to his word, not just the demands of people, not the pressures of society, not what's trendy or flashy or working over here or over there, but our job at the end of the day is to please the Lord Jesus Christ so that when we, when we stand before him and give an account for the work that we've done and give an account for your souls, that we can say, Lord, we, we sought to lead the church, not according to the whims of the day, but according to your eternal abiding word. So, why do we have elders? Well, very simply, because the New Testament mandates that we have elders. Now, I want to say this. We, we are, uh, in our theology and practice, we are a Baptist church. And sometimes people say, wait a minute, well, why do you have elders? Well, my contention is every single Baptist church that I know of has the exact same structure we have with one difference. Every church has, if they have a pastor, they have a person who's given to the preaching and teaching of the word, and they have deacons. All we're saying that may be a little different is we believe that there should not just be a single pastor elder, but that there should be a plurality. There should be a number of elders within the congregation. And there are reasons for this. One, we don't all have the same gifts. Uh, and we can together as a group, we can help move the church along better. We can balance each other. We can challenge each other. The authority is not all in the hands of one person, but it also means that if that one person uh, were to die or to grow incapacitated or to move, that the church doesn't stop because the church has a group that are given that responsibility, and it is not all dependent on a single person. And so uh, even though I think every Baptist church has this structure, a pastor and deacons, we're just saying that we think that the word elder in the New Testament, it seems like it always has an S on it, meaning it's always in the plural in, in each congregation that there should be several and that that group together will be stronger than any one person. So second question, what are the relationships what is the relationship between the terms pastor, elder, and overseer? Uh, we see this in our text in 1 Peter that we read. Uh, Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you. And then down in verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God. And then after the comma, he says, exercising oversight. 
And then in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What's hard to see in English is that every one of those terms, pastor, elder, and overseer, is in that passage of Scripture, as it is in, in Acts 20:28 20, that's listed on your paper. The word pastor literally just means shepherd. So when you have Jesus being called the chief shepherd, he's the senior pastor, when he appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. And back in verse 2, when it says shepherd the flock of God, that's the role. That's what this group of people that are elders, that's their title, they're to be shepherding. They're to be leading, encouraging, caring for, feeding, protecting that group of people. So whoever the elders are, they are to be pastoring, shepherding. And they do that, as you see there in, um, again in verse uh, 2, it says exercising oversight. And that word oversight is related to the word epis episkopos, which means we translate sometimes as bishop or as overseer, or as it says here uh, as in the verb form, exercising oversight. So essentially, and let, before we make this uh, contention, look in verse 20, uh, uh, Acts 20, verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. That's Paul, and he's addressing the Ephesian elders, if you want to look up the context in Acts 20. <clears throat> to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the elders, that's who he's addressing, that they are to pay attention to themselves and to all the flock. That's the word that is used in relationship to a sheep and a shepherd, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the word episkopos, uh, like where you get the, the name episcopalian, or uh, as I said, sometimes translated in Old English as bishop. And when it says to care for the church, that could also be translated, uh, as the New American Standard does, to, she to shepherd the flock, uh, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So very simply, all I'm saying is that the word pastor, elder, and overseer are interchangeable terms for the same office. The office is the office of elder, and you are to carry that out with a heart of a shepherd, that you care for the sheep. And part of the task, the way you do that, is you're to look at the whole. You have oversight. You know, when we come in and, and um, say there is a problem going on in a Sunday school class or out in the parking lot or in the nursery or with the lights, um, you, you might want to say, well, who do I talk to? Well, there may be one person that deals with that one issue, but, but is there somebody who has... Uh, oversight, who, who, can, who knows where everybody is and what everybody has taken on as a responsibility. You can talk to that person, and they're able then, because they have oversight, to pass on to the specific person who's dealing with the situation. Well, that overseer who knows what the left hand and the right hand are doing, who should know what's taking place in every uh, facet of ministry, uh, that is the person who is the elder. And so you, pastor, elder, overseer. It's interesting that the word pastor, in, not in the um, term that is translated as pastor, is only 
uh, very rare in the New Testament. You actually get it in Ephesians 4, pastor, teacher. So we use the term that is least used for the title. It's more how you carry out your work. The, the verb form shepherding is throughout the New Testament. That's what we're doing. We're shepherding people. It's not that you have an office and you're big, large, and in charge. It is all about bringing people along. And that's the same role. So we're saying that in the New Testament that there are two offices. Let, let me just show you this. Um, if you would turn with me to Philippians 1. Um, and I just want you to see this in, it's not on your paper, but you can see it in Philippians 1. Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, episcopoi, and deacons, diaconoi. So you've got your your missionary pastors, Paul and Timothy, which they don't want to say, oh, we're in charge, their term for themselves is we're slaves, we're servants. But they address the whole congregation, and then they address a group known as overseers, and then they address a group known as deacons. That's the development of the structure. Uh, even um, Anglicans that have bishops, and they have a, a, a much more de developed structure than this, when they look at the New Testament, they have to say that, the structure of the New Testament is that. They say, we just have developed it beyond the New Testament. But if you want to be a New Testament church, you're going to have the congregation as a whole, which should be saints, believers in Christ, have a group of overseers and elders that are called to shepherd, to pastor the flock, and then you have a group of deacons that are called to meet the physical needs of the congregation. So the term pastor, elder, and overseer is of a single office, but of a group of people that will serve and function uh, in that office. Uh, you'll notice uh, in 1 Timothy 4.14, this is talking about the ordination of Timothy. Paul says to him, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So apparently you had multiple elders, and they were the ones who laid their hands as a sign of uh, passing on this job, this responsibility uh, to Timothy. So, why have elders? Simply, the New Testament mandates that we should. What's the relationship between the terms pastor, elder, and overseer? They're interchangeable terms for the same office. And then thirdly, what are the qualifications of an elder we have two places that primarily teach us this, and one is 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's interesting that the first part of 1 Timothy 3 is about the, the overseer and the elder, but the second part of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is about deacons. Again, the two-fold structure, the two offices of a New Testament church. But in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, we read, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's episcop episcopos, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, 
not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So here you have the qualifications, these character qualifications, and also the gifts, the skills that an elder should have. One is, is they should want it. This is not something that is forced upon you. It's something you should want, not so that you can be domineering. It makes very clear in 1 Peter 5, this is not a a role for you to say, look at me. In fact, that's why the whole issue about not being like the devil. There's no pride in being an elder. You don't, you know, like put it on your name badge and go, look at me, I'm something special. It, it, It really is an office of service. It's specific service, and I can tell you after many years of doing it, it is a great privilege, but it is a very hard job to do. And it is a job that you do as under the Lord. You certainly don't do because you, you say, oh, I, I do this and, and, and this is going to be the exact result. You do it for the Lord. Uh, but you should want to do it. If you aspire to the office, it's a noble thing to, if you're a, a young man growing up and you say, you know, I would like to serve as a, a person who teaches the word and shepherds the flock, it's a noble thing to desire that. Even... Some may want to devote their whole life to it and go off to seminary and, and learn how to preach and teach and do that for a living. Others may have other interests, but they can use uh, their, uh, their, the time when they're not at work and with their family, they can use that for Christ and for the upbuilding of his church. Notice that so much of this is about how this person is looked at by the world. They must be above reproach. Also, you see here the fidelity uh, uh, into being the husband of one wife, that this is to be a person who's sober-minded, self-controlled. You just can't have a hothead or a person who is out of control being an elder. Again, respectable. The world looks at this person and says, uh, there's someone that, that, that's a good representative of your church, hospitable, welcome people into their home, make people feel welcome. I highlighted able to teach, and the reason is that's the primary difference between the overseer and the deacon qualifications that come later in the same chapter. Notice not to be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And the, and the breeding ground, for the testing ground better, for knowing whether a person can be an elder is his family. Can he manage his family? Do you see this person managing their household well? Because there is an aspect of being an elder where you're going to manage the church. Um, you're going to lead the church, care for the church, and, the, and you do it like a family. You don't manage it like a business. You manage it like a family, but you learn how to manage by managing your household well with all dignity. And then if he says, if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to manage your house, how in the world are you going to be able to care for God's church? Notice the other place that the qualifications are mentioned are 1 Timothy 5, 9. 
And we read the first part of this, but we'll read it all. It says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer or God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Did you notice this? That there in the first verse, verse 5, that as we begin this section, it doesn't use the word overseer. It uses the word elder, but it's obviously the exact same description, and it uses the two different words. First Timothy 3, overseer, episcopoi. And here in Titus 1, it's the, the word presbyteroi, or where you get the, the name Presbyterian. But it's the same office. Again, back to the point that pastor, elder, and overseer are the same person, just different terms for the same office. Um, in this one, you notice the same things are put there uh, uh, very clearly, uh, but at the end, making uh, a very plain that the person is to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught and that they're able to instruct others in sound doctrine and also to rebuke anybody who would come against sound biblical teaching. So it needs to be a person who loves the word, a person of a, a, a good moral spiritual life that would be a blessing to the church, would have a good reputation in the community, and be able to, uh, to teach the word as they have been taught. So that's the third. And now our final point, what are the functions of elders? And so we just look at several. Let me just uh, list them off quickly, and then we'll look at them a little more. They are to feed the flock, lead the flock, care for the flock, be examples for the flock, and protect the flock. Feed the flock is the most important because that's how the word of Christ, who's the head of the church, not our agenda, but his agenda, what he says is true, what he says we should do, becomes the lifeblood of the congregation. And so that needs to be what elders are about. They need to be taking in the word and then they need to feed the flock with the word, preaching and teaching the scriptures. Not every elder will do the same amount of work in that. But notice in 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And what you see here is that you do probably have a distinction within the elders. Some are going to be what you might call lay elders. These are people who uh, make their living out in the world and they're going to manage the church. They're going to lead the church, rule in the congregation, and they're going to do that through the word of God. They need to be apt to teach, but it's not their primary uh, uh, life. And so there are, will be a, a, at least one, a subgroup, those who will labor in preaching and teaching, and that will be how they are going to make their livelihood as referenced there by the term double honor, which seems to be about uh, payment and how a person actually uh, makes their living. So what are we going to do as elders? Our number one job is to feed the flock. 
that is always something that can be neglected. That's why we have deacons who help us with meeting the physical needs so that we don't neglect to study the Word of God and to then teach that Word of God. Um, Secondly, they are to lead the flock. They're to oversee the life and labor of each member and of the entire congregation. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, Over and over again, the idea is that this group is to oversee the whole congregation. They're to lead the flock, to pull the flock along, to encourage the flock, that you're to see them as a spiritual authority, not a final authority, not a domineering authority, but when your elders, when the elders lead the congregation in a way or they, 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 they question you and they ask you about something going on in your life, that you are, as it says here, you're to obey them and to submit to them because they're not doing this because it's an easy job or because it has a lot of earthly fame or wealth attached to it, but they're keeping watch over your souls. They're doing it on your behalf and ultimately they don't give an account to you They have to give an account to God for you. So elders are called to lead the flock. But thirdly, we see they're called to care for the flock. Um, We read this passage earlier, but about the early apostles, it says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Elders follow in that. And James 5, 14 says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Elders are to be men of prayer and they are to focus those prayers toward the well-being, spiritual and physical well-being of the congregation. Let me just say this because sometimes you maybe don't know this and don't take advantage of it. We practice this. If you are sick, call us. It doesn't say we're supposed to call you. You let us know as elders. We will come. We will anoint you with oil. We will pray over you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is just one example of how elders are to to be caring for the flock that is entrusted to them. But also, they're just to be examples for the flock. It says it right there in our passage in 1 Peter, but being examples to the flock. And then here in Titus 2, 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. In other words, what this means is is you can't just say about elders, um, oh yeah, they know their Bibles, they teach their Bibles, they are leading the church, but their lives they have they have nothing of the spirit of christ there's no integrity there's no dignity their words are not sound words um, and people speak evil of a congregation in that way in other words elders are to be examples someone that you can not perfect people but someone you can look up to as i said everything that is laid out for an elder or a deacon in the new testament it's not like we say oh we have a separate class of people right We have the clergy, and then we've got the lay people. They're just a separate class. Every deacon and every elder in their respective area is to be, to use a a race car analogy, is to be a pace car. Not the only car on the track. 
when you see your elder that knows the Bible, when you see an elder that's praying, when you see an elder that's caring for the flock, and an elder who's an example because of their integrity, they're not the only person in church who's to be that way. They're just to be the pace car. Everybody in the congregation is to be following that pace car. They should be, hopefully, out in front, but not far in front. You should be trailing right behind. And, but essentially, we're saying, though, that when you look at an elder, you should not look and say, that's the worst Christian in the church. It should be somebody, not perfect, but somebody that has grown in grace and knowledge. And you can say, you know, they're an example for me. They're a model. That's the word used here. They're a, a role model for me. And then finally, to protect the flock. Acts 20, 29 to 31 Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elder, says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the, the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not see Snyder Day to admonish every one of you with tears. Um, the very fact of the matter is that the church of Jesus Christ from its very beginning all the way through to today and until Jesus Christ returns is in the middle of a war. It's not a war where we take up arms, fleshly arms against the world, but we arm ourselves with the whole armor of God. And we know that Satan is going to come after us in two ways. He's going to want to get us to deny the Bible. He's going to want us to deny how we're saved, that we're saved through Christ, we're saved through grace, we're saved through faith. He's going to want us to add, to confuse. He's going to want us to change morality, where we don't take what the Bible says as the definition of morality. That if the Bible uh, teaches a particular thing, we go with culture rather than the scripture. There will always be, both in belief and behavior, there will be wolves trying to pull us away. And it is up to the elders to protect the flock. These wolves come in all shapes and sizes. They come on your television set. They come on your computer. They come in conversations with people out in the street. And you need to know that you have a group of, of, of men that have devoted themselves to say, we want to be filled with discernment. We want to know the word of God. And if someone is saying something that is ultimately toxic, is untrue, it's not sound doctrine, it's unhealthy doctrine. It will, it will hurt you. It will make you sick. It will lead you away from the pure faith in Christ. It will lead you away from godly living. That our job is to protect you. Our job is to, to, to say that's not right. And that's part of our responsibility. And that's why God has given us elders. Why elders? Because he cares about us. He wants us to be fed, he wants us to be led, he wants us to be cared for, he wants us to be protected. And so he has given us these who are to focus their life and their attention on helping the word of God be at the very center of everything that we do and everything that we teach. Would you pray with me? Father, we, um, we look at this and Lord, we realize that you have so, such a beautiful but simple design for the church. Very simple. It could literally be replicated anywhere on this globe. 
by people with very little education or people with lots of education, by rich, poor, by, by any, any type of background people come from, if they will listen to you and your word, Lord, we can, you will gift people within the congregation who have a desire to, to lead, have a desire to study your word, to feed the flock. And Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you have made this so plain. And we just pray that you would help us, Lord, in a very humble way as we try to enact these principles. Lord, not so that we can stand out or think that we're somehow different, but just because our only goal in all this is to honor Jesus. And by honoring Jesus, we believe we will be blessed. We will be blessed. Lord, it, it may be a long-term blessing, but it will be a blessing. And so thank you, Lord, for telling us what we need, giving us this leadership structure of elders and deacons. And we pray now as we set aside our brother John, that, Lord, you would be with us, that your Holy Spirit would take this simple ceremony and make it one that, Lord, would have an impact on this congregation, not only for years to come, but for decades to come. May it be so. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And together, God's people said, Amen.